You're listening to the Open Podcasts. U.S. Masters champion. He really is the ultimate golfing machine. He's almost as mechanical in his approach now as Ben Hogan was in his heyday. No, you never. You never think, "Oh, that's enough. I'm done. You know, quite happy with this." No, you're you're always you're always striving as a sportsman to to improve. I mean, you think you have to. Now on the tee, and the favourite. If you fire a two iron to six feet, well, you want to do it again. <laughs> and that's perfect. And it's, a, it's quite a process to do that again, isn't it? So it's, it's constant. The little voice on my shoulder said, you ain't good enough, mate. Well, that's two, three putts in a row. You're always, you're always striving as a sportsman to, to improve. I mean, you think you have to. Very, very great competitor. So why do I, how do I sort out this swing? Look, his whole goal was to win the Open, and I didn't realise what effort we were going to put into it. Still trying to find some sort of rhythm. He was a he was a perfectionist on the course. I think we were well suited. I mean, I knew we were going to work hard, but I mean, he really worked hard at it. You have to fail and fail and fail to learn. Also struggling Englishman Nick Felder. Realising I had to take my game everything to a new level. To me, what I remember is that our focus was now and forwards. You get players that are dedicated and they're focused, but not to the same extent that he was. I mean, he was just like one track minded. Okay, this is what I want to do. This is my goal. Nothing's going to get in the way of it. He's really got to get it together now. Other people were saying, do you think you should, maybe you should think about a club pro job? Yeah, honestly, that sort of thing. Well, now, this for a four. You can think and believe you can do something, yeah, but then you have to have trust to really know you can do something. Oh, well done. That's quite a journey. It's not, it's not a five-minute job, this game, is it? Honestly, went to St Andrews on a mission. It really was. And, uh, and it, it was great because was, everything was a first with Fanny. I still absolutely love St Andrews. It's a special place if you're a golfer. And the Open at St Andrews, yeah, it's special. It's really special to just be there. Back at the first, the familiar duo. Paolo, Paddy Sunderson, his caddy. Paolo, very cool customer and the bookie's favourite. The way I was playing and the way I felt, but Nick looks to be swinging superbly well, and uh, I think he's going to be a very difficult man to beat. Poor old Bryson got hammered for saying par 67, but in my head I looked at that and I thought, that's par 67. So that was my goal, I said, shoot 67. Faldo's opening drive. First day, Ledbetter comes running back, so they're all hitting it. It's, a, it's into the wind, the first. They're all overspinning it and coming up short into the burn. Remember that, won't we? Yeah, take that on board. So we, what we got, and da -da -da, they said, nine, nine. Okay, we go, we go with an eight, bit more, we don't want. Then the wind picked up a bit much. All right, we go with a seven. Certainly a seven iron. Traction down the shaft, a little low control, all important. So I chip this seven. <laughs> and because it goes like a rock. A little bite is down, a little clumsy, right over the pin, of course, but you'll be Cross, it's gone so far. Straight through the wind, I'm on the back of the green. 
Yeah, that's a 40-yard putt, isn't it? You're on the back of the green. I can say, tell you this 31 years later, I said, I said, all right, relax, you're going to win. I mean, how about that for a line down the first hole? Seriously. First green, Nick Faldo. Long putt. That's beautiful. Such long range. And that's why when we get to 18, I then got there with my chip shot in front of the green. I looked at the leader and I'm only three under. And that's when I thought, well, I'm off my schedule. You know, I'm two behind my 67. I, I walked up and I thought, mm, if I land it there, it's going to kick onto that hill and back on and up and around, you know, the Valley of Sin. And so I did plot it and a little A time, boom, 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 in. Well, as Clive said, he runs it through. And it's a beauty. Classically played right through the valley of sin, bump and run into the hole. Storybook ending to the first round for Nick Faldo. So that's why I reacted weirdly on a Thursday, you know, that emotion on a Thursday, because that was me on my schedule, on my 67. Day two brought with it cloudless skies and no sign yet of the winds that could sift out true golfing quality. Again, just a couple of matches behind Norman and anxious to keep him in his sights. Honestly, again, when I arrived there that week, the one I said, I've got one person to beat this week is Greg. Greg Norman is in with a 66. You know, if you look at a, a Greg Norman who might have had, might, you might have say he had superior talent level, you know, and the way he drove the ball. But, I mean, Nick had his number, you know, that was it, you know, sort of when he, when he had the game and then he had the mind, I mean, he was, you know, I won't say unbeatable, but that's really what sort of set him, a, set him apart from his peers, really. So more of a psychological thing than anything else. I was playing great and shot 65. Some of my iron shots were fantastic. Two in a row. He just refuses to let Norman get away. He joins him now with two holes left to go. Both of them, 12 under par. The mouth-watering prospect of the best two golfers in the world battling it out on the finest course is almost too much to bear. Faldo and Norman have opened up a four-shot lead, but anything is still possible. So then we tie with Greg. And so that's the, uh, when all the, all the story starts. Well, the good golf at the top of the leaderboard has been played so far, of course, by Greg Norman and Nick Faldo. And here they are at the top of the board. And, uh, well, it was uh, Norman set quite a target and Faldo followed him home and, uh, in the end, was up there with him. Well, the first tee now and the final pair. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the final game of the afternoon. On a tee, Nick Faldo. That was a little moment of match play, you know, especially going down the first. It was like the opening round of a, of a boxing match, you know, you know, you've got to show, you, show your cards. And so we both went down, both had about whatever, 12, 13 feet behind the hole. Now to the first green, Nick Felder for a three. 
So we're both saying the same thing, really important. So who's going to hole, who's going to miss? So I hole, he misses, and so off you go and running. And still, has he got it? I think he has. <laughs> well, well, well. They're coming in thick and fast. He makes his intentions known pretty early on. Can Greg Norman now follow him in? He's overdone it. He's overdone it. You know, my putting was amazing that week from 20 feet. I mean, I, I literally hold everything inside 20 feet. Uh, Nick Felder at the 11th. This for a two. This to go 16 under par. It's hardly believable. The, uh, this man just wears the opposition down. He's beginning to put a lot of uh, ground between himself and the people behind. And there are not many people would believe they could make up four shots on this man. And obviously I'm hitting the right places. I only hit it in one bunker the whole week. So what an excellent exhibition of golf we've had from Faldo this afternoon. Then I hit a wedge to two feet at the last for another 67. and get defensive and uh, you know, just keep piling the good shots on. I mean, if I can keep doing that, then uh, you know, I, I feel that's the correct way to go. I mean, they just keep playing aggressively and, uh, you know, and if the shots aren't quite right, well, then they're still good. hopefully still going to be pretty good. Five-shot lead going into the final round. Would that tempt you into suggesting you might be open champion again? Well, i got one more day. I'm not going to even think of that. I'm just going to, as I said, I've just got to play hard and, uh, and you know, just keep going for it. The wise approach. Well played today. Oh, thanks very much. So um, now I've got five shot lead, and that was that was weird because you got so much time to kill, and I'm staying at the Old Course Hotel, and it's like wow. Yeah, I mean, I remember that we um, when we got when we were done Saturday, we were done late, and he wanted to practice, and I said to him, I said, I think we should just practice early tomorrow instead, because he was tired. It was late. He had to do press, and so we ended up not practicing Saturday night which was uh, unusual. And uh, we did a little session on the Sunday morning instead. I don't know if he remembers that, but we sometimes remember different things. The leader, of course, as we know, Nick Faldo, and Faldo's entire career has been changed by one man, his coach, David Ledbetter, and here he is now with Steve Ryder. And the routine for the two of you today, what did you take him through before he well, goes we, out? We actually worked earlier on this morning and uh, we went out at about 10 o'clock and hit balls and hit some putts and just really relieve a little tension. He's he was really ready to play this morning, so uh, he's raring to go and looking forward to it. When he started winning majors, I mean, he had this aura about him. Players would stop practicing and go and watch Nick, you know, just to see how he was hitting it and the consistency and what he was doing and da-da-da, trying to glean a little something from him. His routine, the way he would go about practicing and things like 
things like the okay say at the open right so i mean not you didn't see players do this right but at the open if you had a a late tea time which he inevitably did sort of on weekends okay we get there have a have a practice session at nine in the morning right so he we go through sort of probably a good hour or so okay working on things then he go back to the hotel rest up and then he come out and do his normal routine and get there sort of whatever an hour and a half before his tea time and go through his routine and so it wasn't like he was sitting around you know it was like he was his mind was occupied he wanted to hey you know just get things down to the, the finest point, shall we say, and uh, feel good about what he was doing and working on. And, and so, it, it, so that's the sort of meticulousness and the fact that, you know, he, he, he sort of approached it in a very professional way. So I would get up in the, and go across and do a full little mini practice warm-up, go over, hit some balls, go and part, do a full loop for a good hour. I used to have a bit of salmon salad for lunch. And then didn't really know what to do with it, so I just played cautiously. On team, Nick Fowler. A beautiful shot from Fowler. And wait for the applause as he passes this massive gallery at the first. Doing all right. I mean, he pulled a four iron at the fourth. Tough hole. It's the only bunker I was in. Bogeyed that one. Yeah, I mean, Payne Stewart got close, and uh, we were at the turn. It was very tense. Obviously, a lot of pressure, and I just wanted to. I just wanted to get him away from thinking about it and feeling it. And I'm sure he knew what I was doing. You know, the funny story, of course, from St Andrews, we're thrashing down the. 14 fairway on Sunday and she suddenly turns to me, she goes all that pressure going on she said are you thinking of getting a dog she says because <laughs> so, I laughed and I said it's all right I know what you're doing I was talking about if he was going to get a dog and I was talking about his his wallpaper in the new house and yeah, I talked about everything just to get him away. And the brain is, is clever. I mean, it had to focus on that because he answered. And then even if he knew what I was doing, it made him think about something else, even if it was just for a few minutes. And I wanted him to have that break away. And then we could go back into the bubble. And, and um, yeah, so I tried to keep him a little looser. On the golf course... He was very, he was very self-centered. Okay, he he really was oblivious to everything else going on. It was all about him, and that's the way he operated. Subsequently, you know, he, in the later years, he said, oh, "I wish I could have been a little more personable on the course." But you know, but when he got into that zone, if you will, I mean, he was very, very single-minded, very focused. We were so much here and now in our bubble, so I was very much like that, and and so was he. You know, at the time, you're not, honestly, not thinking that, you know, you actually have to, you have to look after yourself, you know. Some people would say, well, that's selfish, that's typical. But no, you, you're the only one who can look after your emotions and everything and how you feel and how you control yourself. So you have to play for yourself. Here is Nick Faldo, who, according to some of the comic papers this morning, isn't the most popular boy in town. So I remember back in uh, 1990 when he won at 
St Andrews, one of the other players I was working with at the time was Ian Baker Finch, and, and uh, they were drawn together in the last round. I said, Finchy, I said, look, you're playing on your own today, you know that. He said, what do you mean? I said, Nick will not acknowledge you. I mean, you might say, he might give you a grunt on the first tee, but that would be it. You know, he's not going to be looking at you and saying, hey, great shot there, and hey, nice putt, and blah, blah, blah. You know, I said, that's not going to happen. First. Play well? Yeah, play well, guys. Play well, that was said. This is game number 21. Of on tee, Nick Faldo. Lo and behold, that's exactly the way it was. I mean, you know, he could have been playing on his own. You know, and so consequently, he wasn't popular amongst the players at all. You know, he, he'd be walking and he'd know somebody, you know, like a Howard Clark or VJ or somebody walk by him and they'd say, hey, Nick, and he'd go, uh. It was like he's sort of in his own little world, you know, and that, that's a really, that was the way he performed best. Some people can switch on and switch off, but when he was, when it was tournament time, it was like, boo, it was like the blinkers were on, you know, and it was like he was just like, completely 100% focused on on his game, what he had to do, how he prepared, and so on and so forth. Some people would say, well, you know, he, he was then, you know, you'd be, you'd be in the mode too much, you know, off the golf course. But, you know, as I, as I described, I like to be in the intensity of the major from Thursday on. Stay in the same intensity again from Thursday to Sunday. Why change? You know, a lot of people are relaxed Thursday and Friday, aren't they? And then Saturday ramps up a bit more and Sunday, well, hey, you either can handle it or you can't. You know, and Lee Trevino said, Lee Trevino was funny on a Thursday morning. And, for, you know, it stayed the same mode. Jack could concentrate Thursday. And I always thought I could do that really well. I could come out Thursday morning at the Open with all that intensity. Like, I'm going to come out and start really well. And I, and I would birdie the first or start well. And I wanted to feel like I was in it straight away, and I generally was because of that. It's the, it's a pretty powerful mindset. So that's how I thought Nick Felder had to play: head down, blinkers on, concentrating from the word go. Nick was like, ah, uh -uh. you know, he didn't have a great relationship with the press, and you can see a lot of his other side of him has come out now that that he's commentating. You know, he's a lot more relaxed. I mean, it's not it's not that he's having to be inside the ropes to you know to make a living and so he's uh you know he's funny makes uh but uh at the time as i say you know and, and you know and, and i realized that i mean i mean the common joke was oh well look there's there's nick playing a practice round with his friends and you know it was he fanny and i on the alone <laughs> you know it's like probably the most dedicated professional in the game of golf it was interesting because as he you know became who became he got more focused and more serious about what he wanted to achieve in the game of golf. Because in the early years, sort of in the you know, 85, 86 period, there would be practice rounds set up and he would be playing with Nick Price, uh, Mark McNulty and David Frost, who I all worked with. So I'd say that was a perfect foursome. But he, he didn't want to do that as, as time went by. He wanted to be, hey, he wanted to be like, hey, this is my time. I've got to focus and you know, work on this. And so uh, it was, uh, it was interesting. When the going gets Watch tough, that, even the toughest get irritated. You can't talk when I'm lining up the shot, okay? Against a very bleak backdrop, Faldo the golfer and Faldo the man were suddenly both under the microscope.
you can't read someone's mind completely. I tried to speak to him about other things at different times. And we had a laugh on the golf course sometimes, you know, it's, uh, he wasn't just focused on the golf all the time, but he certainly was very focused on the golf course. And I was one of those guys against all psychology, what they would say, I could think of golf all day long. And many psychologists would say, no, you can't do that. You've got to jump out and think of the purple monkey technique and then jump back in. But no, I used to say, she used to go off talking to her and I said, no, stick to golf. Just, we just talk golf. And so I could actually stay in it. So wherever that wore my golfing batteries out, probably did, you know. Probably where I was done by the, at 39, so possibly. But, you know, I, I like to keep in the intensity all the time. So that's what I was doing. St Andrews, Payne Stewart slowly started to squeeze the gap and then I was just two ahead coming down the 15th hole. When I, then I realized, right, I've got to do something about this, try and see if I can step it up. And I had a really great little knockdown five iron and into about eight feet, hold the putt, so that was really key. There's a beauty. Oh, what a nine shot that is. Oh, that might just make the cushion has been worth waiting for. He really does produce some marvelous shots just at the right time. There. Oh, what a beauty, you little beauty. And without doing a lot more coming in, I ended up winning by five. We're standing on 18th tee and you know pretty much, you know if he hits the fairway, he's going to win it, we're going to win it. So, so he stands up and uh, hits, hits it left, you know, which is where he aimed, hits it on the fairway. And as we walk down, he says to me, he says, look around, look around and enjoy it. And I am so grateful for him saying that. You know, you, you have... 18th green in front of you, the 18th hole in front of you, St. Andrews is right there, you got the stands. Just absolutely magic. And, you know, and as I sit here, you know, the scenes outside the, the RNA, the clubhouse, and the, the red arrows coming over. And when we came up the last, I, I said to Franny, well, lift your head up and look around, we can enjoy this one. Cause you got the... So, yes, I can remember and seeing and running through the, the crowd, the fans. That was amazing. He heard and he's played, and let's hope it's a cracker. Right over the pin. And if he hadn't told me that, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have looked at it. And, uh, and I'm forever grateful for him for saying that. And uh, that's probably one of the most special moments in golf for me, and I shared it with him. This was 71. Yes. There it is. Nick Faldo played a very controlled round. He, he wasn't really threatened, but he fought himself. He had to battle with himself and his own emotions and thoughts. <laughs> and he's done it superbly well. And the funny bit was, so 
So I've got my young children, I've got Natalie and Matthew. So Matthew's a tot, just over a year. Yeah, Matthew's 15 months old, because he wants dad. I'm standing over the claret jug, so Matthew wants dad. So I just hand give the claret jug to Fanny. I said, here, grab that. And then so I pick it up and I'm holding Matthew. And then you, there's a picture of Fanny standing there. So you think, again, she's, we've only been on the bag for six months. And we've just won two majors and this, and she's standing out on the cloud. <laughs> so, little moments like that, you think, it's kind of your little memories. And so, um, yeah, obviously to win at St. Andrews is very proud, very proud to be part of that. The winner of the gold medal and the champion golfer for the year with a score of 270, Nick Faldo. Want to keep up to date with the latest news on the Open Podcasts, as well as enjoying films, articles, quizzes, and much more? Get the Open app today to experience the greatest stories in golf all year round. And so it was that two years later, Faldo returned to the scene of his first great triumph, Muirfield. And the world's press gathered to report a repeat performance so overwhelming was his favouritism. Got to world number amazing that under the old rules, I'd won, now won four majors to get to world number one. You know, slightly different to now. You know, they only have to make nine pars in a row and they get the world number one. So, <laughs> I'm now world number one. So I had a lousy 91, lousy. And so I had like a little mini rebuild Never forget that, it was quite, because I said, okay, what's wrong with your game? Right, bunker shots are no good. So when I went to a tournament, I said, okay, all I'm hitting this week is bunker shots until I get it right. And I can tick that one off the list. So that, and then go to another tournament. What else is bad? Whatever, wedge, distance, right. All week, practice. So I did that for like six weeks and it really got my game up, thinking it's getting me ready for the Masters. That didn't happen. And then I get to the US Open. Oh, that was the, the windy one. My God, rock hard greens, all sorts. Blew a gale. That was the Tom Kite one, wasn't it? Who won and I learned a few things there. I just was just changing the follow through to get, we wanted a little bit better ball flight. Tweaking, you know, as you used to say, you used to use, well, we're just tweaking, a little tweak here and a little tweak there. And it wasn't, we did, I mean, the majority of the work, I mean, that's for sure, you know, back in, you know, the mid 80s. And from there on in, it was a case of refinement more than anything else. Again, trying to get this penetration. And then we got to Muirfield. The main hope of the home crowd is Nick Faldo. He of the steely determination, but also of the all-round game to handle the questions posed by Linksland Golf at the very highest level. And so I come to Muirfield as, yeah, world number one, the favourite, and I'm feeling good. And I said it and the media got it wrong. You know, when I won in 87 and then you come back to Muirfield five years later, I honestly felt like, you know, I'm defending again. I'm defending at Muirfield. And it did help me. You know, I thought, come on, this is my title here. You know, I'm, I'm the best for that little five-year spell. I was the best player at Muirfield in the world. And all the little things you say to yourself just to, just to keep yourself up. None will ever challenge Nicholas's hall of major titles. But of all the players in the field today, Faldo most closely reminds one of his single-minded pursuit of the major championships. He definitely uh, sort of looked at other tournaments as sort of, uh, uh, say, prep work, shall we say, rather than sort of thinking, okay, I want to win every tournament I play in. You know, so, I mean, that was, in some ways, it was pretty smart, because, I mean, when you win six majors, it shows where your focus is. 
Oh yeah, so, they, so going back, Irish Open, and there was a telegraph pole in the field. And I was literally taking the paintwork off the right hand. And my goal was, this ball is going down the right hand side of that telegraph pole with every club. And if it got really good, it was a yard. If it wasn't so good, 15 and 10 and 5. And, and that's really when I got, you know, the one yard fade going, as I, as I called it. And that's when I learned, the, you know, this little soft, the soft arm chicken wing thing where it comes out a lovely trajectory, doesn't get affected by it. It's got a nice bit of penetration to it. And that became this famous stock shot that I produced, you know, the chicken wing. We, we actually worked on a particular shot for a, a crosswind, a, a right to left crosswind. And we called it the chicken wing. And so he was able, where he was able to actually hold, hold the shot off and control his ball flight. And the soft arm chicken wing, and it came out great. And that really served me all week because any time the weather was rough, you get the ball flight down. I'm hitting the ball great. A drop shot at the first only acted as a spur, and he duly went to the turn in 33, 3.5. More birdies coming home, and then this great approach for the 14th. It seemed that the championship lead was his for the taking. But that miss was the end of his run. Just pars from then on in for a round of 66. The first round saw three shots covering eight players at the top of the leaderboard. Faldo's 66 left him two adrift of Raymond Floyd and Steve Pate, two Americans. But midway through the second round, the balance of power changed. Faldo machine rolled on. Three at 10, three at 12, three at 14, and again at 15. Faldo for yet another birdie, and the first hint of daylight between himself and the rest of the field. Oh, of course, I, uh, so I open 66-64. Faldo finished the second round, three shots clear of the rest on 12 under par, and in so doing, broke Henry Cotton's record for 36 holes. In the third round, Faldo once again played almost copybook golf. He shot 69 and had once again broken 200 for three rounds in the open. In fact, over 54 holes, he'd run up 13 birdies, two eagles and only three bogeys. Great ovation for Faldo. So that's round three. Faldo's in control. He took a four-shot lead into the final round at St Andrews two years ago and won the title. And he's got a four-shot lead again for tomorrow. Anyway, fast track to Sunday. I'm four ahead. So I'm favourite. Well, number one, four ahead, and I'm the favourite. And I'm feeling good. <laughs> so, and then I basically start frittering it all away. Making silly little mistakes and... You know, I pull one here, three quick, three putt, block to iron in the bunkers, that sort of, and I keep going back to the bag to Fanny, I said, I'm all right, I'm all right, but I'm screwing up, I'm all right. Follow at the 13th for a par. Oh. He's, he's been leaving himself a 
an awful lot to do, and Danae uh, has that must have a sickening feeling. There's a stunned silence about Muirfield Links. And then I finally looked at leaderboard, and I'm two back. And as I walk off the 14th green, so I've got that walk, and I managed to say to myself, I said, forget everything. Forget the whole week. Everything. Forget the whole week. I said, you've got four holes to play. I said, you better play the best four holes of your life. Well, now's the time when Nick has to put everything behind him and start to think about birdies. And I near as damn it did. So I hit the little famous five iron into 15. We got that really awkward wind. The 15th hole, it was just, it was just perfect because the wind was blowing right to left there. He had a five iron into the hole and he hit this chicken wing five iron shot where literally where the left elbow sort of splays away from the body and holds the face open. Five iron shot, but how dearly needs this one close? And I just hit this soft little five iron down the middle of the green and it just peeled off. But here's a chance coming up. Kicked off the hill down to three feet. Well, we were saying earlier that uh, come the moment, come the man, or words to that effect, Faldo has the ability of playing the right shot at the right time, and he, that could not have come at a better moment. Well, the key shot, obviously, on 15. I mean, that's an amazing shot. I, I remember the shot. I, to be honest, I can't remember what I said. Uh, I, I, I don't know, but I mean, that was one of the best shots. Uh, it, I mean, in that wind and in that situation and the way he hit it, I mean, yeah, he, w he was uh, phenomenal to do those shots. And he held the putt for birdie. And so it was like, it was one of those times that you sort of remember, it's like, you know, you put all this time and effort into one shot, you know, or one type of shot. And that was, that was where it was absolutely needed. I mean, because he made birdie on that hole and it sort of spurred him on. Yeah! That's better. 16, I hit a six iron over green, a lovely little chip back down. And then 17, I bust my tee shot really good. Then I had a four iron in, and that pin was front right, so you can't get close to it. They've got the big mound guard in it. So the best you can do is 20 feet left. And so I nail a four iron, 20 feet left. And two putt, and I, you see my face. I hit, if I hit, that putt was right in the jaws. If I hit it hard, I'm like, I'm like get it there, and it didn't. Well, that's not bad, and he will be very pleased in a minute or two when the scoreboards have changed. And he will see that suddenly he is a stroke ahead. Then I teed off 80, and I heard the crowd give the big murmur, and so I knew that was John Cook. And I knew, funny, I just knew. I felt it. They'd taken five. And then I've then got that three iron shot. And gosh, in those days, you know, that was into right to left wind, blades, balata ball, probably one of the most pressure shots outside the Ryder Cup. You know, that was, I stood over that thing and I just said, just, just get it moving. Southeast to turn in a little bit, and how about that? Oh, steady now, right at the flag. What a magnificent strike. 
I just wanted to see the club face, club head move two feet. I thought, just get that moving two feet, everything else will take over. And, just, and sure enough, I'm there and boom. And I nailed it and it just whew, right past the flag, 20 feet, five feet behind it. And then the part was weird, the ball was sitting up and it was a, it was a really big scoop in the back of the green. I didn't, you know, didn't realize it. And so when I hit the putt, I hit it a little high on the blade and it just kind of like, was like, oh, what, what happened to that? But it obviously just scooted down the slope to that. Well, something funny happened there. And it's making its way down. That was the most extraordinary putt. I thought someone had stuck a bit of chewing gum on the fender of the putter there when he hit it. It didn't seem to go anywhere. Oh, blimey O'Reilly. Really was extraordinary. And you know, and then tapping that in, that's when I reacted because that was the first time I'd been on the knife edge of blowing a, a major. This to be champion. Yeah. There you go. Absolutely fantastic. And he's absolutely drained, he's absolutely shattered. The supreme effort. I mean, that would have been a, a scar. If I'd blown that one, four ahead, you know, world number one, feeling good, favorite, blah, 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 that would have scarred me. So I'm, I'm very fortunate that I've lost majors, but I don't carry any scars. I don't have to walk along and think, I stuck it in the burn and couldn't get it out, you know? So, um, which must be tough, must be really tough. So I'm very fortunate on that one. The winner of the gold medal, and the champion golfer for the year, with a score of 272, Nick Faldo. Well, the crowd really, really on Nick Faldo's side. What a tremendous battle, a wonderful display of skill and courage, and he did it, and the others couldn't. And so he is the champion for the third time and very well deserved indeed. That was special because I went, again, I went there, I'm very proud of that, I went there with the intention to win that, you know, all the preparation and everything. So I think that's different, you know, going to a major just feeling good is great because you kind of sense something, you think, oh, if, I, if I, everything goes my way this week, I'm feeling good about this. But actually, to rock up there and you've been thinking about it for a month before or more, you know, Right, this is mine. That's a, that's a completely different, different ball game, isn't it? And uh, here's a shattered man, uh, Nick Faldo, open champion for the third time, but my goodness, they don't get any easier, do they? That's not the word easy, is it? <laughs> that is not the word that, uh, um, you know, well, I, I don't know what to say. Where do I start? Obviously, it's been a lot of focus on um, and high pressure during the whole round. And then such a happy feeling inside. And, you know, it, it, it was fantastic. Uh, just such a happy feeling. And, of course, then a couple of years later, we, we uh, were at Augusta and you kind of know what else happened. 99% of people will come, oh, you and Greg, 96 Masters. Quite a 
So I got three and three, which, you know, I would have loved. It was a goal to win the Grand Slam. I would have loved to. But three and three is a cool. Three is one of my numbers, my goodness. So it's pretty cool, pretty cool. We applause largely for the three times Open champion, three times Masters champion, Nick Faldo. So, you know, I'm very proud that I was a serious competitor and did my bit at the Ryder Cup as well, which was very important. And, um, you know, and then, hey, times, well, that was half my life ago now. So obviously now I'm, my giving back and paying forward has been the Faldo series. We've done 25 years of it and really it's been me and the RNA. And now golf is fortunately a very popular place, great sport, out, outdoors, fresh air. Hopefully we'll keep going. Hopefully we'll still be playing Faldo series events when I'm gone and that sort of thing. So he's got a great sense of humor and he, uh, he was a great player, very focused. I really enjoyed working with him. I mean, I was so lucky to get to work for him. I would say, even though he won the Masters in 96, I would say his golden years were like 87 to 94, that sort of seven year period. Doesn't matter how good you are. I mean, I mean that's why Tiger was such a phenomenon. Uh, the fact that you know, he was able to sort of maintain that level of greatness for so long, you know, I mean, and uh, I mean, maybe Jack Nicklaus, you might put into that category as well. And we're still great friends. I mean, I consider him almost family, actually. I mean, I probably, I care for him like, like a brother. So he's, he's a very close friend of mine and I will, he, was, he will always be special to me. On the other hand, he, he really helped my career too, because my career really took off then too. You know, it was almost as if, okay, the, you know, it, all the work they did has been validated here. And so, you know, then all sorts of opportunities came my way from, you know, I, I'm just as grateful to Nick as uh, Nick was to me. So it was like, say, it was definitely a, definitely a two-way street in everything that we did, you know. Yeah, I had a rapid rise, quite amazing, to pick up the game of golf, yeah, in 71. And then I'm at the Open in 76. Even more fun, I beat Jack <laughs> at the Ryder Cup six, after playing golf for six years. I, I do enjoy reminding the great man that one. <laughs> and so that was the one where I would be on the putting green like any kid would do, this to win the Open, this to win. And I, and I did stand up and face that putt in 87, this to win. Oh, well done. I'm very proud that I got a great reputation of being a, one of the best ball strikers out there. Proud the way I played and how competitive I was and the play to win and I could do it on a Sunday and that was my goal, that was the most important thing. Winning was the most important thing. Emotional moments, one of our great champions. And the champion golfer for the year, Nick Faldo. It's obviously near and dear to me and I hope I uh, whatever capacity can still be involved in the Open. I guess the nicest thing is you've got your, you've got your name on the back of the cloud, Judge. As the countdown to the 150th Open at St Andrews continues, the Open's official website has more content than ever before to whet your appetite for a landmark championship. Visit theopen.com today and explore our vast library of videos, as well as a host of new features, championship updates, ticket and hospitality information, venue guides, every episode of the Open Podcasts, and much more. 
This has been an original audio production from The Open.